0: Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholz, and this is episode 129, One Story Spanning Generations, an interview with Aaron Bartels, coming to you on Thursday, February 28th, 2019. First off, I just want to say happy birthday to everybody whose birthday is tomorrow, but not tomorrow. I know I have several friends whose birthday is February 29th, and I can't think of a single one, so I can wish you a happy birthday by name, but you know who you are. (laughs) So if you feel 40, but are technically only 10, happy birthday. I hope you are having a fabulous day. I am super-duper happy right this second because it happens to be a Saturday afternoon. I'm wearing my writer t-shirt from Castle. I've got sunshine, 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 so much. It's awesome. Um, We are having a very cold couple of days in Malmö, Sweden, but it is super-duper sunny out, which... You know, you just have to celebrate the sun every time you can if you live in a somewhat rainy area, which I do. So super happy, even happy to go out and get groceries because I'm walking in the sunshine. Yay! So, um, let's see. Anything else happening? I am doing a little bit of writing. Yay! Super happy about that. And this weekend, John and I are working on plans for my birthday trip to Paris, France. It sounds so crazy to say that. As an American, I'm like, Paris is far, far away. And that would be just a really expensive flight, let alone the whole rest of the trip. And yet, We only live two hours by plane from there right now, and we're finding airfare deals and hotel and Airbnb deals, and I work with people who actually lived in the the cities that we're going to, so we're going to Paris for the actual day of my birthday for a few days, and we'll see all the big, you know... Yes, big touristy things. But they're touristy things because they're amazing. So, of course, I want to go see the big touristy things. And then we'll take the train to Lyon, which, because I don't know how to say anything in other languages, I thought was lion. It's L-Y-O-N. But it turns out one of my new co-workers has actually lived there for apparently his whole life. So he's helping us to know where we should go and what we should do and, you know, what we should eat. Because going to new places is about eating and drinking and walking and seeing and taking pictures. And several of my friends have uh, said, thank you very much for taking me to Paris with you through Instagram and Facebook. So yes, I will try to remember to post lots and lots to uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and you know, wherever else I can. So I'm really, really, really excited. And the other thing that we're doing this weekend is we're trying to figure out, like, what exactly do we need to budget in order to be able to do one of these, you know, only two hours away kinds of trips, like once every few months. So John was very happy to help me with the budget just because it was like, oh, if we work on the budget, then we can work on going more places. So yay! Really, really, really good day here in Buholts land. I hope it is a good day where you are. Now, by the time you're listening to this, it's at least Thursday, February 28th, the day that the episode airs, or later. Um, And there are lots of things that will be happening. Um, Spring will be coming very, very soon to um, an awful lot of the northern hemisphere or maybe the beginning of it. I've already seen a lot of crocuses. And this morning we were awakened by... What had to have been um, several hundred, because I've seen these flocks flying in the air once or twice before. Several hundred birds just going, uh, uh, just past and past and past and past us, you know, up above our apartment. And um, I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's spring! I wish they had just waited thirty more minutes." But yay, it's spring! (laughs) So. There's that. I mean, you can't really complain. I was trying to get as much sleep as I could this winter knowing that I wouldn't get that much this summer when we have nights of it not really getting very dark at all and not for very long. So, But still, I'm excited. So anyway, we have Erin Bartels on the show today. She's super fun and interesting. And she's written this really, really interesting first novel that spans three different generations of women who are um, part of... A larger family, like it's not like mother, daughter, grandmother sort of thing, but, you know, like a great aunt. And actually, I got a little bit confused. Um, I knew everybody's related, but I was like, great, great um, aunt to the, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, three women across three generations and about 140, 150 years apart altogether, it was so interesting and one of the things I always worry about when I know that I'm going to be reading a book like that is, oh boy, this is gonna be confusing, right? Like how am I gonna keep track? But Aaron does a great job of helping me to remember where I'm at, who's doing what, who people are, and it's just like I I couldn't stop reading it. I have to tell you this because it's not every book that I'm like, okay, just one more chapter, just one more chapter when I know I have to get up it. You know, somewhere between four thirty and six, depending on whether or not I'm going to the gym, and get to work and be you know awake and have all of my energy putting it putting it into work because I got enough sleep. But there was a couple of nights when I was like, okay, just just a little bit more though, because oh my gosh, that's interesting. What happens next? So the perfect way to write a book right you just if you can get readers to keep on saying okay but hold on what happens next let me just read a little bit more so kudos to Erin for doing such a great job with your book and um, we'll talk about it but the title of it just so that you're familiar in case you want to pause and go look at it right now is We Hope for Better Things so it came out January 1st first novel um, but she also has uh, a lot of other writing and editing experience so um, very exciting. And one of the things that she forgot to say was that she also has a podcast called Your Face is Crooked. Now why wouldn't we want to go at least check out a podcast called Your Face is Crooked. So she forgot to mention it. I promised her that I would uh, let you know in the in the intro. So check that out if you can. And um, you know what? Everything else that I have to say, we say in the interview. So let's get started. I hope that you have a great time listening. It's going to be really interesting. Have a great week. Get some writing done. Um, Get some relaxing done. Get some sleep. All these things, you know, are going to help all together for you to have a much better experience with every aspect of life. Um, And we definitely want to be as healthy mentally and physically as we can so we can get a little bit more writing done than we did last week. So good luck with it. I'm sure you'll be great. And here's Erin. Today's guest is Erin Bartels. Erin has been a publishing professional for more than 15 years. She is a member of Capital City Writers and the Women's Fiction Writers Association. And is a former editor's Sorry, a former features editor of the association's Write On magazine. She lives in Lansing, Michigan with their husband, Zachary, and their son, Calvin, and can be found online at erinbartels.com. We Hope for Better Things is her first novel. Welcome, Erin.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: I'm so glad to have you, and in your honor, I specifically dressed down, which I know sounds really weird, so if anybody's just listening, there's also the YouTube version of the podcast, and I am now going to show you my shirt, which says, Just a Michigan Girl in a California World. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Because let me tell you, being a Michigan girl, talking to another Michigan girl, when you move around the world a little bit, you're like, wow, everyone is not the same. (laughs) <laughs> oh now that, that actually kind of leads us into um your book. Your book is about lots of people who are not the same and yet yes. with this overwhelming uh umbrella of history showing us that we are we are so very much the same. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your book.
1: Sure. Um we hope for better things is set in Michigan. Uh, it's set Yay. in Detroit, which is usually the only thing anybody knows about Michigan if they're not from here. <laughs> That's been my more, experience. There's a lot more to <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, it's set in <laughs> Detroit and then just north of Detroit and kind of farmland. And it's the story of a woman named Elizabeth Balsam, and she's a journalist at the Detroit Free Press. And she meets up with a man who says he has a box of photographs and a camera that he would like her to return to a relative of hers. Um, that she's never heard of. And so this sort of starts her off on this, uh, this actual physical journey to go see this person. And then also a journey through history where she learns the history of her own family, which she really didn't know, and how they were uh, involved in specific events in the 1960s and in the 1860s. So obviously in the 1860s, you have the Civil War, um, which you usually read about from a Southern perspective. A lot of times you see things in battles and, and things like that. But I was interested in what's going on in a place where there are no battles. Um, what yeah. are they doing up in Michigan? And Michigan was very involved in the abolitionist movement and in the Underground Railroad because of its proximity to Canada. And so in the 1860s storyline, you have a woman in her family named Mary who is involved in moving escaped slaves through Michigan. And also they, a lot of them end up staying with her on her farm uh, in this house. And the same house shows up again in the 1960s when Elizabeth's great aunt Nora, who's the relative she didn't know, um, is going through her own tumultuous time of the civil rights era and specifically the 1967 riots in Detroit. And then in the present day, you have another story that involves um, an interracial relationship. So these are, these are all volatile times. And unfortunately, we live in volatile times. And uh, because I'm a history minor or was a history minor, and I'm very interested in history, uh, I'm always interested in how things don't change and also how they do, because we have a, a sense, I think, when we learn history that it's a line and we're progressing and we're getting better, but it's not always the case. And so that's one of the things that's explored in this story. So there's a yeah. little bit of romance. There's a lot of history. There's family drama and um, a lot of strong, I think, women characters who sometimes make wrong decisions and sometimes uh, have the best of intentions, but things don't always go well for them. And then what do you do with that? And how do you move on?
0: Yeah, I just finished your book during lunch today. And I have to say that my my first thought was, oh, good. I finished before the interview. And my second thought was, okay. what in the world can I ask her? Because all of my questions would give something away. <laughs> Which, honestly, I just have to tell you, oh, and my husband said, you have to tell her what you just said. So yesterday, I said something to my husband. Um, We have this schedule where we um, get up at 4.30 in the morning, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to go to the gym before work. I
1: know. That's for you. (laughs) Ridiculous. I know, right? That's very (laughs) impressive. Just go
0: do that by yourself, honey. (laughs) So so knowing that I was going to hear his alarm go off at 4.30 a couple of nights ago, I was like, okay, hold on. I, I can't stop there. Hold on. I can't stop there. Just one more little section. All right. This is only like two paragraphs and then I'll, oh, but oh, crap. Okay. So <laughs>
1: well, I'm glad to hear so, that. Yeah. You know, we love to hear when somebody says, I couldn't stop. And I, I couldn't stop. <laughs> well, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. That's gratifying no. because when you, when you work hard on something for as long as I worked on this, it's nice to know that people actually want to read it once they get right. going.
0: Right, right. And it's very unusual. I don't think that I'm actually your target market. Um, it's it has a, a very literary feel. And I was gonna ask you, like, what do you
1: call it? Do you call it literary fiction? That's or? a great question. And and one of the things that I found difficult when I was trying to find a home for this was what is it? Um yeah. and I wouldn't say it's literary, partially because you had that I have to keep going feel. And I love <laughs> that's a good point. I really do I love reading literary fiction, but I like reading books that are kind of frustrating and I can put them down for years and then pick them back up again um, but I think that it's what I've heard it called is upmarket or um, kind of a it's a kind of a commercial literary marriage where you have maybe more of the language or character development of a literary novel but you also have plot that pushes you along um, in the storyline and so I I would call it upmarket. And I would call it upmarket women's fiction because the protagonists are women. But I know a lot of men who've read it who really like it. But then I also had my father read it. And he was like, this is really for women, right? (laughs) So I don't know. (laughs) If you like history, you'll probably like it. (laughs)
0: You know, that's a good point because um the history was uh one of the things that really kept me engaged all along when I would be trying to remember my real history against the, the background of the story, you know. Yeah. I'm like, wait, wh- when are we? Do I think is this where we're where we're at in my memory of history? But if you're a history major, man, you must have been just loving putting this all together.
1: <laughs> I, I just can't, yeah. I love I love history. And my son will ask me some benign question and i'll start talking and a half an hour later he's like okay thanks you know like i didn't really (laughs) want to know all of that but it always has to do with history
0: that's so funny well listen let's take a little segue into your writing so your personal writing history on the one hand this is a first book congratulations
1: yes it's very exciting
0: But on the other hand, you've been in the industry for 15 or more years. So yes. can you tell us a little bit about how did you get started? Um, how did you end up having such a massive project as your first novel?
1: Oh, that's a great question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and please um, tell listeners... Um, your real thoughts on your advice as to whether or not anyone else should repeat that. (laughs) Oh,
1: (laughs) Depends on the person and how long they're willing to work. Um, but yeah, I've worked for, I guess it's going to be 17 years in March. I've worked for the same publishing company. I started working for them when I was 22 and so add up. Yeah, I'm almost 40 and, (laughs) uh, and So I've read a lot because I work for them as a copywriter. And so what I normally do is write the back covers of books. And I write catalog copy and web copy. So the stuff that's trying to get you to buy it. And to do that, you have to read a lot. And I've read a lot of books. And of course, as I was an English major and history minor, um, as an English major, you read a ton of books. So I guess it was sort of inevitable that at some point, I would want to write one. And I actually wrote a book before this one that didn't see the light of day, although I did try to find an agent with it, I'm really glad it didn't because it really (laughs) wasn't ready. I I think that you have a a feeling when you love to read and when you read a lot that I know what a story is, you know, I can tell a story. Um, And then when you really start writing, you're like, oh, well, I can write well. My teachers told me I could write. I got A's or whatever in English class, but that doesn't necessarily mean I can tell a story. So (laughs) I spent a lot of years working on learning how to tell a story. Um, and I think I started writing seriously with the thought of I would like to be published in maybe 2010, Um, and then 2012, I started trying to find an agent for that first manuscript, but in the meantime, while I was trying to do that, I didn't want to just stop there. I wanted to make sure that I was writing forward because if this thing didn't sell, I'd like something else to sell, so all of 2013, I was researching for this book. Wow. Uh, during that time, I wanted to keep writing, so I wrote a short story every month um, and put them out on as, as Kindle singles, and then I collected them at the end of the year into a little, uh, a little book uh, collection that actually people can get on Amazon or look up if they're interested. Um, so I, I, I researched for a year, and then I wrote the first draft, believe it or not, in 65 days. Um, for this giant novel. Uh, But I think it was because I had spent so much time just researching so that by the time I was ready to write, I had to write, you know, I just had to write and I had to get it all out there. Now it's very different now, in some ways from that first draft, it got way longer, and then it got shorter again, um, as I was trying to make sure I, I wrote the scenes that needed to be there. Um, But I think that took several years and finding an agent took several years. So really from the point when I started writing it, like drafting it in 2014, then it wasn't until 2017 that I actually had a contract to to, to publish the book. And then it wasn't until 2019 that it actually got published. So it's a very long process for any book. Some some people sell faster than I do. so. <laughs> but I, I think that there was this sense of some people like, well, this is good, but do you really want this to be your first book? Because it's an issues book. Right. Um, right. So I did have some people who really liked it, but who were uncomfortable representing me um, because they felt like I should do something that wasn't so controversial first, I think. Um, and I think when you read the book, it's not controversial, but it has the potential to um, start some discussions.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Actually, that was one of the questions that I was wondering. Um, there's a lot of talk. So I'm a member of the Romance Writers of America and I've been, um, been a happy member just saying that, you know, I'm not unhappy with it, been a happy member since, uh, 1999, I think. Oh Um, yeah. Uh, and one of the things that is like a issue with me across all topics and all groups that I'm in is um, I hate when something comes up that suddenly creates two camps and it's an us mm-hmm. versus them and everybody's kind of fighting yeah. instead of, yeah. Um, interestingly, your book covers that in a in a general sense about this seems to be something that people do. But one of the things that I, and this happened to me yesterday too, I was right in the middle of the sentence and my mind went off on a couple different directions and now I'm like, where was I going with that? <laughs> And I always think, you know, I should really edit this out. And then I think, well, maybe if I just make a joke out of it, listen to that kitty. So We're all real people. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's right. That's right. And this is a real people podcast. (laughs) Um, But one of the things that uh, has been bothering me the last year or two in RWA is that there's kind of this uh, tug of war going on where on the one hand, there's this own voices movement where if you're not white, we want to hear your story and we want you to write it. On the other hand, if you're white, uh, it seems like that's who's being targeted, but um, everybody is supposed to be writing books with diverse characters in them. Um, And yet (laughs) it seems like there's an awful lot of people Um, very angry at people who are not doing what they think is the right thing to do. And I was about ready to give my opinion. And I'm like, it doesn't matter my opinion. The point is there's all these people who feel like my opinion is the right way. And because your book has um, three women who all are white women, but a whole bunch of other characters, um, most of whom I think pretty much everybody in your book is either a Caucasian American or a black American. Is that...
1: Pretty yeah true? i I think that's I think so. true um, certainly yeah and i and i and I know exactly the the discussion that you're talking about and it's not just r w a it's everywhere, um, especially online, especially Twitter, which can get super nasty yeah. uh, <laughs> and we've had in in the women's fiction writers Association we've had lots of discussions about this and even in um, my debut author group on Facebook, there's a number of us who are coming out this year uh, with our first book and we even talk about it. And there are some authors in that group that are own voices, authors who are being criticized by, I, I, I don't want to say social justice warrior type people, but that's kind of, kind of who they are. Um, white people who are deciding that this is problematic, that they're saying this or that, or the other thing about Muslims or um, Jews or whatever country they're from. And, these authors then come on the group and they're like, but this is my country and this is my story. There's one from Jordan. There's one from Pakistan. There's a a Jewish American who is uh, writing Jewish characters and, and they're all being criticized for how they've done it with their own culture. Uh, So yeah, if you're white and you're writing um, diverse characters, absolutely. You're going to face criticism. Um, And I think that there are ways to, do your homework and there are ways to um, check on yourself before you go out there with something so that not just so that you minimize that kind of thing, but so that you're, you're writing authentic characters. So in my case, I knew that I'd have about a half black, half white cast. Yeah. Um, and Which so, to me makes sense. It's set in Detroit. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the history you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. You're talking about, and today Detroit is 80% black,
0: right? right. You know,
1: it's a black city. And, um, so in the, the present day, um, timeline in my story, the, the main character is a minority in her own city, but certainly not in her history and in her country. So she's in a different position than the women in the 1960s or the 1860s. But what I did was beyond researching a lot. Um, after I had, uh, maybe a second or third draft, I had three friends who are black. Well, two of them are black writers. And one of them is just a friend from church. And um, she actually grew up in Detroit. And her father was a police officer during the riots. Uh, So I really wanted her perspective as well. Um, I had them read it. And I said, I really want you to be honest and say, where do you see me falling into stereotypes that are unfair? Where do you see, um, you know, if I'm using a particular dialect, am I using it right? Am I using it wrong? Does it sound um, like a caricature? And so I got feedback from them. I made changes. And then when it got closer to publication, I had another writer friend who's black. She's from Chicago. Read it. And she had more things to say. And I was really glad I had her look at it in, in the sort of later stages. And it wasn't about how people spoke it was more about whether black characters had agency. So it was whether they were all just being acted upon or if they could act and, and enact a future that they wanted. And so she, she helped me with particular scenes and particular characters who, you know, maybe they served a particular purpose in the, in the plot, but they didn't feel fully fleshed out. And so I think by doing that, I managed to get um, characters that felt like real people, whatever color they were. Yeah. And um, so I, I really encourage people like, yes, absolutely, you should write diverse characters because we live in a diverse world. Um, but I think that doing your homework and having people read it who are of that group and say, you know, what do you see and w- what can I do better? And then listening to them. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, it takes an, an amount of humility of just being willing to be corrected which is hard sometimes.
0: Yeah, especially when someone is giving you um, valuable feedback, uh, worded maybe in a
1: way that is not quite as kindly written as you want it to be. (laughs) Sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) I actually had some really kind people, you know, doing reviews and stuff uh, of the the early manuscripts, but I, I wanted honesty. You know, I wanted them to be honest and I wanted to know how somebody might react to this badly so that I didn't end up with that in the finished product.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and partly because of the way that you wrote the story, but partly just because I really, really, really liked him. I think my favorite character in the entire book, so three generations of people, was actually William. Yeah, not any of the three women. Yeah. William just seemed like the I kind of so. man that I would want all of my friends to be like, and I would want to be like. Yeah, you know, he was um, respectful, and he understood the the area and, and time that he lived in. But he was still going to be himself, and yeah, yeah not be acted upon like you. What you yeah, were saying, I here. agree.
1: I love William. I think he's, he's probably one of my favorites as well. Yeah, you know, he he was just a really. Um, an honorable person in a time when it was hard to be honorable sometimes because, you know, you, I, one of the things I learned as I was doing research and writing this book was um, you you end up placing yourself in those situations and it's less of a, I'm, you know, learning this as I'm I'm in history class or whatever, and I'm seeing black and white photos and, you know, I'm learning about events. But once you, try to imbue a character like and try to be that person while they're talking and while they're acting in your story you have more of a sense I think of how you would act if you were in that situation and you were that person and I think it was really helpful for me to know that although in school you're you're taught to admire people who did things non-violently um, you know, you, you would, you're you taught to admire Martin Luther King and be kind of suspicious of like Malcolm X and, you know, right, right. or whatever. Um, when I was writing it, I was like, you know, I'd probably be on their side, not on, you know, I'd be sick of waiting. And yeah. I, you get an idea of like, you understand the anger and there's absolutely no reason for them not to be angry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think that William was somebody who knew that reality, and he still made choices that were honorable. And so I think that he's a really, he's a noble character and I really like him.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and yet the way that you wrote, um, so William is married to Nora, who's the main woman from the middle period. So of the three pe- periods, she's the, she's the middle one yeah. and she and William are married. Um, and so I was just going to say, without giving anything thing away, um, the night that he drove down to Detroit. I was thinking I was listening to them kind of argue understanding why they were both getting irritated at the other person mm-hmm. and agreeing with both of them and thinking if I were him I would totally have his opinion and yeah. if I were her I would totally have her opinion. Yeah. And those opinions
1: don't match. Right. <laughs> They're yeah. not going to agree. And that's how most of life is, I think. I mean, if you're if we really take the time to think about how how we would feel if I were that person in this situation. Absolutely. Um, You can hold completely different opinions at the same time. And I don't think it means you're crazy or you're not thinking (laughs) through them. It means that there's maybe not a good choice in a situation like that. Maybe all choices are going to fall short. Right. Yeah.
0: Which, you know, life after a while, uh, depending on which path life's taken you on. I think pretty much most people realize that they're, the older you get and the more life experiences you have, whether they're good or bad, um, you're going to have people around you, even if your life choices seem to have led you on a good path, there's mm-hmm. still going to be other people in your life that you're looking at them going, wow, that, that was terrible. And yet, what else
1: could they have done? And And yet yeah. they ended up in this place that this is sad, this is wrong or but I think, I think that writing and, and reading fiction really helps you, um, it's helped me be less judgmental about whatever choice somebody's made um, yeah. and less self-righteous about myself because um, I've had a lot of privileges that other people haven't. Even as a writer, I, I meet so many writers who um, have had no encouragement from the people in their lives, yeah. um, you know, from teachers who told them they, they couldn't do it. Parents, spouses, you know, people who just didn't think it was worth their time or didn't believe in them. Um, and it really breaks my heart because I've had such a supportive community my entire life. Um, I'm, I'm really lucky. And so, you know, to, to then turn around and, and see other people in their struggles as, well, you didn't do this to yourself. I mean, life happens. And, you know, you make the choice that seems the best at the time. And yeah. that's what people yeah. are doing.
0: Yeah. And in in my mind, I thought that you did, uh, as a reader, I thought that you really did some really interesting things with characters. I, I actually, this is going to lead to the question that will become, so how often were you able to just stop and think, okay, but in this character what are they thinking and therefore what are they going to do? So it seems realistic because there was so many people that I thought that what they said or did seemed very realistic for the moment and for who I had learned who, who they were up to Mm -hmm. that moment. Um, And yet I was like, Holy cow, like if I were reading this as a newspaper article, I'd be like, oh, that teenage boy, like, what was he thinking? You know, and that woman from the 1860s, what was she thinking?
1: (laughs) And the guy from the 1860s, what was he thinking? Yeah, people make some really choices (laughs) that, you know, you don't you don't think about the consequences down the road.
0: (laughs) Right. But the way that you wrote it, and so this is gonna become the question of um, did this come naturally or how much time did you really have to sit and think and about each character and, and feel like you really were getting them right? Um, it just seemed like almost, when I say almost, because I'm like, I don't know, every single one, I, I wasn't counting, but it would seem that just about every single character, um, no matter if they were doing something that I personally, you know, approved of or disapproved of, mm-hmm. um, you were kind of following through their thought process and you were understanding where they were coming from. You were seeing um, regrets or lack of regrets, um, hurts and how it hurts about a person, what they've done to you, you know, it leads to more actions and reactions. And I just thought the whole thing was like so layered that I was thinking, how in the world would I ever write something like that? And then I thought, oh, because I would have to stop at every character and ask myself, What would this character say before I write their dialogue? Yeah.
1: And I don't know that I, I think in most cases it, it wasn't like a, you know, I didn't have charts of, you know, this character acts this way or anything like that. Um, In most cases it felt very natural. And, and I think it was as if you were playing two sides of a chessboard. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Both sides want to win. And so whenever one person speaks, it's always going to be um, you know, from that person's perspective and, and what are the you know choices that they have? What's, what's the world they live in? How have they grown up? You know, and you kind of just keep it all in your head. Um, so that they make, they make, they do actions and, and say things that are natural to them. And, um, I don't know that I really thought really hard about it when I was doing yeah. it. I think it came kind of naturally and I don't know why I have no idea why. Yeah. Um, but I think that it, it has to do maybe with um, not standing in judgment of a character as you're writing them.
0: Oh, so I don't stand
1: as a judge of what they're doing. I'm them. Yeah. Instead of the person writing it, um, you know, the narrator or whatever, some omniscient person outside. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to judge them for their actions. And I think that's um, – sometimes when you, when you read a book that feels um, like the bad guy's really bad and the good guy's really good and there's not a lot of nuance or even watch a movie like that, there's, you know, action movie or whatever, where you don't really, you don't really understand why this bad guy's doing this. Like, why does he have this diabolical plan? What happened to him? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Taking the time to think like, rather than this guy's bad, it's this guy's just a person, you know, working their way through life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Nice. All right. Now I would guess that having a whole year of doing all of this research, um, just also put so many layers of things in your head that you, you had like this, uh, if I can use a garden analogy, this really lush, uh, deep, dark dirt to grow things in. Sure. Yeah. But that is the joy of the first book. Now, you've got another book coming out in September, yeah. and, uh, and I know that you've at least pitched, I don't know how far you are in the writing process, of at least a third one. So now that you have less time to write, wow. are you noticing any changes in how you're doing it? Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, and, and to be fair, the second book that's coming out in September, I had that completely written before this book got sold. Okay. Um, So again, while I was waiting for this book to sell, I just kept on writing. Um, And the second book has, it's not, um, it doesn't have anything to do with history so much as it has to do with literature. So it's a story of people who have exchanged those sort of classic books that you have to read in high school. um, and, and so it's a lot about literature. So it's just about something else I know about, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did a lot of research, although I did reread a number of books and because I write in my books, I, I got to get through it pretty quick. Cause then you just go through the underlines and stuff that you've, that you've made over the years. I mean, I still have the same copy of the great Gatsby I had all through college and wow. high school. So, I mean, I have layers of notes right there. Um, but but it was not historical. So I didn't have to do historical research and I based it on the town I grew up in, although it has a different name. So I didn't even have to think about like, well, where is stuff, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. So that's <laughs> sort of cheating. And then the third one, again, it doesn't have anything to do with history. So the research took so long because yeah, it wasn't just researching <laughs> one time period. I was looking at three time periods. And even when you are somebody who's been reading history for a long time, it's not that you retain all of those little details. You have to get those back, or you didn't even. I mean, we barely touched on a lot of things after World War II. Like a little bit after that, you get highlights, right? But right. you so much time as a kid in the Civil War and in the World War World War II, not even World War One, that you that you have to. I mean, you don't understand the things that came just before your lifetime, right? Or in yes. 1980. Um, and I knew nothing, whatever about the seventies until, you know, yeah. I tried to learn about it as an adult. Um, the only thing I knew about the sixties was, yeah, the civil rights era and assassinations, you know, that's, that's yeah. <laughs> right. There's a lot more to it. And, and I think when you're, when you're researching history, you, you really find that, oh my gosh, I have to keep going back because everything I learn about, it happened because of this, which happened because of this, which happened because of this. And you end up. Yeah infinite, uh, you know, thing, but yeah so, yeah. so for the second, third, and even the fourth book that I'm writing now, um, I haven't had to do any of that, but yeah, you do have a lot less time, especially since you're, you're now spending time, um, trying to get people to buy the first book, you know, you're promoting, right. it, you're doing interviews and things. Like right. <laughs> that. So, but yeah, so you do have less time and, and I do work full time and, you know, I have family like everybody else. So everybody's (laughs) busy, but yeah, Yeah. you make time to do it. And, you know, when I first started writing, I had to quit a lot of things. I I kind of did an inventory of my life and I thought, what are the things that I'm doing, even if I like doing them, that someone else could do? Nobody else can write this book for me. So I have to let go of this and that and the other thing. And, you know, so I stopped being a deacon at my church and I stopped um, being a docent at my zoo, which I loved. Um, you know, I got to handle crazy animals and, oh, it was great. Aww. Educating kids and stuff like that. And so that's something I really adored, but it was a 50 hour a year commitment minimum. yeah. Um, and I needed to use those hours writing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know what? 50 hours... Even over the course of a year, if you had something really plotted out, you could write the first draft.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't know how many hours I spent in those 65 days writing the first draft. I took time off work. You know, I took a week off work for the first week that I was working. I started January 1st and took that whole week off. And wow. um, and then later in February, I took another week off. And if you take a week off, I mean, you can write like 40,000 words if you yeah. know where you're going. Yeah,
0: yeah. So. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So, so when you're talking to uh, other writers uh, at all sorts of levels who are listening right now, um, I'm thinking that maybe uh, the research might be one thing. Like, do you have any advice on how to hold on to the research, how to find the research that you need to hold on to and let the rest of it kind of
1: slip through your fingers and go, okay, this doesn't have to do with my story. I need to Yeah, that's a great question, especially because research can become a procrastination tactic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I knew that I needed to know particular things. Um, Some of them were really interesting to research. Some of them were really boring. So (laughs) if I had somebody in a particular Michigan regiment in the Civil War, I had to know where that regiment was at what time. All right. History buffs. Are crazy, you know, and if you get something wrong, somebody's gonna rant about it on the internet. <laughs> and so yeah. I didn't get anything wrong. Um, I even looked up phases of the moon at different times. I wanted to make sure that was right. So wow. some really picky things. Um, but I also read a lot of really interesting things that, well, maybe it didn't end up in the book. It helped to inform why characters were the way they were, why they ended up where they were. So one of the books I read, which was fantastic, which I really recommend to people is called The Warmth of Other Suns. And it's by Isabel Wilkerson. And it's the story of the Great Migration. So this great movement of people from the south, of blacks from the south to the north and to the west after the Civil War. Wow, And she tells great stories about real people. Um, and you follow these specific real people to these different places. And that's representative of of the whole. Um, well, I wasn't going to cover that time period at all. But I wanted yeah. to know how William and his family ended up in Michigan. You right. know, um, it wasn't because they came from escaped slaves. They are yeah. there for a different reason. And, and the reasoning and the conversation that he has with Nora about it tells you something more about why people are still feeling unrest in the 1960s, because a lot of these things didn't get dealt with. Yeah. And since then, a lot of these things haven't gotten dealt with. Um, Yeah. Detroit's history alone is really fascinating in terms of race because there was slavery in Detroit when it was founded. Um, Wow. You know, intervening years, there were a lot of great abolitionist movements. There were um, so many people are buried in Michigan who you wouldn't believe. I mean, a lot of them moved to Michigan from South the South. Um, Sojourner truth is buried in Michigan. That's cool. How did I not know that? Nobody knows that, (laughs) you know, people in Southern Michigan know um, because they live near it, I guess. But I mean, a lot of really amazing people who did amazing work ended up there. Um, And, and yet, there were all these problems and Detroit was considered a model city when it came to race relations. Um, Black Americans could make more there than in any other city in the U S they could have a better quality of life. So people might ask themselves, well, why are they so upset? Why would they, why would they riot? If they were, you know, it's better here than anywhere else. How dare they? Well, there's lots of reasons, you know, Yeah. there wasn't official segregation, but you bet there was segregation yeah. <laughs> in the schools and where they could buy houses and, and everything like that. So, um, so I did a lot of research that didn't end up in there, but it kind of informed that. Um, and I don't right, know when I decided just that, to stop, I guess it's just because I felt like I needed to start writing. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah. And you know what? It seems like, um, most writers who have finished the book that has all the research, because there's lots of us, you know, that have started a book that requires research and that book is still not finished. Oh, well, and I have
1: uh, one of those too. <laughs> right? Oh. Yeah. You know.
0: um, I, yeah, when I was unpacking, I was like, oh, those are the four books that I bought on angels that I still haven't read because I, I'm afraid to get caught up in the research and yeah. <laughs> work on it. But, um, oh, there I go. You know, I apologize to you and listeners. Oh, Do no. I mean, that happens. So late at night. Oh, man. It, it's hard for me to keep my mind on one track. And also, I'm always talking to these interesting people like you where I have like four questions that I'm like queuing oh, sure. up. In yeah.
1: my head. I forget one. Just go to another.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So
1: I'm going to just move on to the next all question. Right, sure. so, and then so- they will remember later. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so, one of the questions that I was wondering, because you live in southern Michigan, your books are set in various places in southern Michigan, is I'm almost 100% sure that around 10, could have been as much as 20 years ago. It's amazing how time stops being relevant um, when you're trying to remember when you picked up all these various facts you have in your head. That yeah. um, I had read something that Detroit had also come, at le- become, at least for a while. Um, the largest
1: Muslim population in yes. the United States.
0: Yes. Yeah. Is that still true? And how does that inform
1: your... I believe your, that's still um, true. Books? Yeah, I believe that's still true. Dearborn is um, probably the t- the city in the Detroit area where most of them have settled. It's a lot of immigrants from Iraq. Um, during various times of unrest, there's people from Iran, there's people from Syria. Actually, um, our last governor uh, had quite a good record with immigration. Um, he really encouraged it. And we've had a lot of people from lots of different people groups settling. Um, my own experience in Lansing has been with Burmese and, um, Nepali refugees, huge communities. So yeah. And in, in the Detroit area, there's a huge um, Muslim population, a huge Arab population. And, um, it didn't factor into my book because two of the time periods was kind of before a lot of that is the 1970s, yeah. I think, where it really got going. Um, and then the present time period, it's not really mentioned because she doesn't spend a lot of time in Detroit in that time right. period. She kind of gets out to, to the other house out in the country pretty quickly. Yeah. So, So, yeah, that's something actually that could have been a tangent right? If you were doing research, I got to put this in there and I got to put this in here. So everybody knows what everything's going on. (laughs) Well, there's so much going on in any size town, but especially a town the size of Detroit, which has had its problems. I mean, it went through the biggest municipal bankruptcy in US history several Mm -hmm. years ago. Um, But you do have to narrow it down. So I didn't have any characters living in Dearborn. (laughs) If they worked for Ford, They would have lived in Dearborn, but they worked for GM, so they lived in Bloomfield Hills. There you go. (laughs) That makes it easier. (laughs) Yeah, it makes it easier. So yeah, I I definitely, if I had added that, I think it would have distracted from the main thing. Yeah. And so
0: just to um, put ourselves in the writer's seat for for a moment so that people who are listening, if they're like still trying to figure out how, how would I do that? But I do have people. So if it doesn't actually change, if you had an idea about somebody who's going to work for GM, but then that would involve a, another town, which also has a slightly um, different um, flavor and, and makeup right. and issues and stuff, but it doesn't actually change the story for your character to work at Ford instead mm-hmm. so that you can not have the, the additional characters and additional flavors and mixing it up too much so that now you've lost the focus of your story. It sounds like like you would be saying that if it didn't change that character's story just to change what company he worked in, therefore what town he Worked in so that you can keep your story focused. Then that's one way that you would decide.
1: Oh, absolutely, you could do that. And and if you didn't want to do that and you wanted to show that you were in a very diverse town, you can do that through the names of places. And you know, even mentioning describing how one passerby is dressed in something that oh, that's different. You know, um, you know, even Lansing's quite diverse. And anywhere I go, any time I go to the store, I'm going to see somebody just head to toe veiled um yeah. people speaking different languages and so if that's your world you can mention it without getting into why it is so you right. know so if 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 the landscape looks a particular way even the fact that there's a lot of polish names in detroit well i don't have to explore the whole history of how the poles ended up there you know <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of a lot of things that i don't have to explore but just having a name here and there that sounds like it's from a particular place is a great way to Show people without dwelling on it. I think yeah. that you're in a diverse area. Perfect.
0: I think that's great advice. I, you know, I'm I'm always listening to podcasts, looking for that little tip that I'm like, oh, that's what I need to do. <laughs> so I, I like to ask I like
1: to ask hard questions. of oh, the yeah, authors I interview. <laughs> I love having questions like that because a lot of times you haven't thought through them, and you have to do it on the fly. And you're like, oh, I do have a reason for this. This is great. Right. right. <laughs> Now, um, so your book that's coming
0: out in September, tell us a little bit about that and how is it different from the first one?
1: Sure, sure. Um, That is called The Words Between Us. Yes, that is the title. I had to think for a (laughs) second there because it was recently retitled. A little um, side note for those who aren't involved in the publishing industry, a lot of authors are surprised that their publisher doesn't go with their title, Um, but it's more common than not. Just FYI, don't get married to it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they have their reasons. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's called the Words, Words Between Us. And it opens with a woman named Robin who owns a used bookstore in a town that is loosely based on Bay City, Michigan, which is a working river town. So I grew up in this town and there's drawbridges and there's freighters going by and people in sailboats. And it's a very maritime place. Um, And so it gives a a real feel of movement and it's windy and, and all those things. So she has a used bookstore. She um, wakes up. uh, It starts the morning of her father's scheduled execution. Um, Her father has, you know, as you read, you find what his crimes were and how she has been sort of hiding from that since she was 14, which is when he was arrested. She was kind of moved to, um, a different state and grew up with her grandmother because of what her parents were involved in. They were trying to keep her out of this media circus. And then, you know, and eventually both her parents were in prison, so she couldn't live with them. So wow. you get a back and forth story. So it does have a dual timeline now and then, um, and now is now. And then is mm, around 2000. Okay. 2001. um, and it's this story of how, as a 14 year old, she met this boy whose uh, mother had been a high school English teacher. And he's been reading through all of her books uh, to sort of honor her after her death. And he starts sharing them with her. And they develop this friendship and this relationship through these books. And um, on this day that she is supposed to, her father's supposed to be executed in the modern day um, storyline, the now storyline she gets one of these books from him. Out of the blue, she hasn't seen him in a decade. Uh, You find out why later. Um, And so now somebody's making contact and there's news vans showing up because of the hoopla about her father, but she's still under an assumed name and she's trying to decide like, do I have to leave here? Do (laughs) I have to run again like I did when I was a kid? Um, So yeah, it's a a story about... um, the words we say to each other, and how those last, and often they uh, they don't have the effect we wanted them to have. Uh, they they do something else. And um, about the the words we read and the books we love, and and that sort of shared um, parlance that you get when you read the same books. Which yeah. I don't know. I feel like we might be losing that because a lot of books aren't being. Um, Assigned that were probably when we were in school, and I don't necessarily think that that's bad. I think that it's great to have a more diverse uh, group of books than probably we had. Uh, we read a lot of dead white men, and uh, there's yeah. a lot of other people out there. Uh, exactly. But I, I really wanted to think about how these books kind of form us as people, and they tell us what's important and what we should think is important, and and maybe that's not really the case. Like maybe maybe I, I shouldn't have gone this way. I should have gone that way. And yeah. anyway, it's a book about second chances and, and things like that. So. You know, it's so interesting that
0: you're talking about this now. And I just, in my mind, happened to have two conversations that revolved around that topic, but not with books. They ended up having to do with movies. Oh, so, yeah. I was in this entrepreneur class and, um, the, the gentleman leading the the class was talking about, um, the, I mean, the, the, the topic of the class was about finding your target audience and knowing how to, to speak to them. Like right. what, what kind of, um, not just words, but like how to relate really how to relate to them. And so one of the things that he did was like, um, think of somebody that you really admire um, past, present, uh, fictional, real, or whatever. Think of somebody you really admire, and think of like the one word that describes why you really admire them. And he's like, you don't have to tell. And so nobody told. But in my in my head, I was like, so would I tell? <laughs> would I tell anybody who I'm holding in my head right now? Because for me, it's Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> because he's the guy I really, really admire. He, he always stands up for what he believes in. Uh Um, No matter how much he's mocked for being a believer, uh, he's like, well, you know what? You can take that up with God. I I know what I believe kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. he never says it in a way that's rude. Mm -hmm. And like nothing about him is, I I just, I love Captain America. (laughs) And then I had a conversation on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, which was all about characterization in Marvel comic movies versus the DC comic movies. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yes. Oh, you should listen to the, the interview from two weeks ago with Sean Gaffney. Okay. Yeah. He's a, a filmmaker and a writing teacher and, um, and he's got this great explanation. And the thing is, is that it sounds so logical. You're like, I, I can't see how this argument actually is not the the actual reason why one works better than the other. Because character is a reflection of humans that we recognize. Yeah. And so I think that's why I liked your book, um, your, your current one, We Hope for Better Things, which came out in January. So everybody who's listening, you can go buy it. And personally, I think that if you're one of those people who really like to, um, to enjoy, like really, like if you like long dinners and you like books that make you feel like you're having a long, relaxing dinner, you should get the print version because there are so many times on my Kindle that I was like, wait, and I wanted to look back and go back and forth. I mean, some, some books you want to be able to
1: page back yeah. and forth.
0: And I was like, I can't do it on my Kindle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I am definitely a printed book person. I, I can't. I have a Kindle. I think it's been out of battery for like two years. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of books on it I haven't read, but I, I, I love printed books. Yeah. Love yeah. Them. But yeah, that's a great point about character. Um, that there are people that you recognize and one of the things, I don't know, you know, which side of Marvel or DC anybody comes down on. I really enjoy the Marvel movies and the DC ones have been like, mm, not so great except for Wonder Woman, which yes. was awesome. Yeah. Um, and I remember when I saw that in the theater, um, there were a couple scenes, one, when you're first uh, on the Island of however you say it, theater something or other um, where they're all training. And just the fact that you spend that much time that much screen time where there are no men on screen and you see all of these really strong women doing these things that men would normally do. You know, you get kind of choked up. Like I've never seen this. Yeah. Um, And then the scene where she goes over out the side of the trench into no man's land and she's completely alone uh, with the shield in front of her and all of the, the bullets and the mortar coming at her and nobody else has gone up yet. I absolutely cried because I realized at that point that she was being positioned as a universal character. And usually those are men. Yeah. And we're so used to reading books about men when we go through school.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and women do it well. I think that we're like, okay, we'll read anything. But a yeah. lot of men don't want to read books that have women as the main character. I remember when I wanted to read Anne of Green Gables to my son, he was like, eh. I'm like, trust me, you'll like her. <laughs> <And> he <laughs> really did, but there was an immediate like, oh, she's not like me. Yeah, but to to see this person being cast as a universal character, this is the person everyone is supposed to identify with and everyone's supposed to aspire to be. Um, yeah. And it was woman was really really powerful.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and she, um, as much as there's lots of things that I like, and I like the layers of uh, Tony Stark and Iron Man there's just something about wonder woman. She, wonder woman is the, um, kind of the female captain America of, of all the things right. that I love about her. In fact, I should just start thinking to myself, wait a minute, what not captain America, wonder <laughs> yeah, woman. <there> <laughs> but, um, but you know, they just have this sense of, um, of justice that comes from such a deep part in, in inside of them that it seems like, They're almost surprised at injustice. Like this must be fought. How could we not fight it?
1: And don't you wish that we were more surprised by it? I mean, we've become to a point we've come to a point where we're not surprised and we're, you know, oh, another one of these stories. Yeah. You know, and that's really sad. And I think that one of the reasons people identify with Captain America or Wonder Woman is because they do have a sense of hope that we're lacking today. And they have a sense that we can do better. And they expect people to do better.
0: Yeah. Don't lower the bar. Right. Yes. Yeah. So all that to come back around to your book to say, it was one of the things that I admired about your book was that I really felt like even with the characters that irritated me, um, (laughs) (laughs) and actually there was only two characters that I thought were... um, not developed very well to make me feel as strongly as other characters felt mm-hmm. about them. But, um, you can't, you can't develop every character and you had <laughs> so many characters. There were but, a lot of
1: characters in that there, book.
0: There were, but not just so that if you're listening, you've been thinking about <laughs> getting it, not too many, because too you're, many. you're understanding them in the context of which era that you're reading about. And so it, it's really, um, yeah, I'm not going to try to explain anyway. Um, but it's just it really, I still, I know I just finished it at lunch today, so it's still fresh in my head. But honestly, I, I haven't really been able to stop thinking about how much each character seemed believable to who they were and made me feel like there was something about them that I could see a piece of myself in, mm-hmm. you know, even some of the characters that I really didn't admire very much. I was like, oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. but if I was a white man in 1860. Like, he's a good white man. I won't say who. Um, like, he's a good white man compared to other people. And yet, <laughs> like, looking at him from 2019, I'm like, you're such
1: a jerk sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a great point. So I think that one of the things that's difficult in life and in fiction is not judging p- people by the standards of today if they didn't live today. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery. This idea that we are more enlightened and better than everybody else before us and they had it wrong and we're getting it right and we're on the right Mm -hmm. side of history about everything. Um, People have always been people and they always will be people and that means there's always going to be problems. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You expect somebody who, um, you know, it doesn't excuse behavior, but you have to understand behavior why somebody would be the way they are if they grew up in that context. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know people today, you know, I think we're so trained um, as Americans in the 21st century to be hyper aware of anything that would offend anybody about anything. Right. Yeah. Whether or not we always get it right. We're very aware of it. Um, but when, <laughs> when I hang out with people who are from other countries, uh, friends from Kenya or Nepal or Burma, they do not, think like that. They'll say (laughs) anything. And you're just like, oh my word, you can't do that here. Um, But you know, they're of, they're of a different race and they're not as concerned uh, sometimes as uh, white people are about offending people um, because they come from a different context. And you can look at them and say like, wow, that's super judgmental. And to you it is because you grew up in a time where, you know, things were getting more PC and um, there were a lot of things you couldn't say. And even if it didn't stop you from thinking them. And I think that's one of the things that this book talks about. Like, let's be honest about what people are really thinking and have them say it and then have to deal with it because to not say it just pushes things down. So they fester and fester and fester. I think that, you know, we're so afraid of being piled on, especially online, if we say something wrong. Um, that's not a healthy way to have a society. I mean, you have to be able to talk about those things and you have to be able to be humble about yourself, uh, you know, and not stand in judgment of these people who came before you. Like they they grew up in a completely different context. How can you judge them by the context today? Yeah. So anyway, I guess that's my little pet peeve for the day. (laughs) Off soapbox.
0: I love it though. But, but these are all the thoughts in our heads that coalesce to become really interesting books that readers are are just needing to stay up until midnight to finish like I did.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad you did. Oh,
0: it was really fun. <laughs> No, there is that, there is one thing. Uh, one thing that um, this is the second time where I've stopped a book when because I was falling asleep and my Kindle was falling out of my hand, <laughs> and I was like, "Crap, I'm going to have to finish it tomorrow." And I was really close. I was really close to the end. I knew I was, but I didn't know how far because I uh, two books I read on a Kindle and I that I didn't, you know, because ninety three percent. You think, well, it's not that close. So then it turns right. out, yeah, because there was chapters of the new book. Oh, or sure. Yeah,
1: there's other stuff at the end of the book.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so this is the the second time where I was like, oh, dang it. I was only like four pages from the end. I'm like, <laughs> okay, well now it almost feels like a letdown. Like I, I <laughs> saved an entire lunch hour to just like oh, oh, no. read. And then five minutes later, I was like, what? <laughs> oh, no. oh, but I really, really liked it. So <laughs> well,
1: I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it, you know. This has yes. been really fun.
0: Yay. I'm glad. Now I have to I have to feel a little bit bad because I I just asked you so many questions that we've gone on for quite a while here. That so, me. I oh that's good. That's good. Okay. Um if you're listening and you're running on a treadmill, you have permission to get off. You don't have to wait for us to stop talking. Because
1: that's how I feel sometimes when I'm running. I'm like, "Come on, I'm tired." There's only four pages left. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Don't <laughs> worry; it'll end soon.
0: So, while I do have more questions for you, why don't I end with this questions? Where can read this question? Where can readers, sorry, listeners, I do that all the time. Uh, find out more about you, your books, and sure. um, whatever else that you're doing in your writing life.
1: Um, Well, I have a website like everybody does. Uh, It's aaronbartles.com. Bartles Bartles is spelled B-A-R-T-E-L-S. A A lot of people switch those, the E and the L. Um, So you can find everything through there, but I'm also on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm everywhere. Um, I don't necessarily want to be, but I ended up in all these places. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And the book is sold anywhere books are sold and if it's not in your local bookstore and you want to buy at a local india bookstore just ask them to order it and they can um you can get it on amazon you can get it at barnes and noble i'm sure you can find it at a used bookstore soon <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or a little free library in your neighborhood <laughs> oh, i love little free libraries yeah they're really sweet yeah so nice. i mean you can find me easily if you just look me up now there's another aaron bartles who is a dermatologist i think that's not oh. me okay but we so
0: don't she doesn't up. have any books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, I have to say it has been so much fun talking to you. It's so much fun talking to somebody who also writes books set in Michigan. Yay.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show with us. I really appreciate the opportunity. This has been really fun.